it is good. If you believe it, give me an amen. amen. Alright, can we just quickly do what we normally do? Declare the word of understanding. If you believe that you are going to receive wisdom and understanding today, give me an amen. amen. Right, let's declare it one, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His Word. The Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. Understanding will come to you today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you believe that, give me an amen. Huh? Amen. That God will speak to you specifically something you need to know. Amen. That will set you in the right course for your life. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And if anybody is sick here, expect to be healed. Amen. In Jesus' name we are prayed. Alright, greet three people around you before you take your seats. Tell them, God bless you. You are welcome. If you have not seen them before, tell them, welcome to Enugu. They may have come from afar. I know that's what I'm referring to. Alright, the Lord is good. Alright, let's put my Bibles quickly. I want us to go to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 to start um, this, this afternoon or evening. The book of Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to just read something that we know very well. And then we'll go back and just refer to some things that we read last time. Hebrews chapter 11. He said, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. I will stop in verse 6. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before he is being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I just want to stop reading that one there. I want to read something else quickly. Please bear that in mind. Alright, so Corinthians chapter 5. Let's start from verse 1. Paul said, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed while we are in this tent we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, 
and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are sent from the Lord. Now, please, I need verse 6. That's what I wanted to read. Paul said that we are of good courage knowing that while we are at home in, this bo- in the body, we are absent from the Lord. How do we know that? For we walk by faith, not by sight. He said we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent in the body and be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. All right, the Lord is good. Now, let me just uh, remind us of what we began to do last time, and that's we began to look at the subject of um, building up our faith. We read from the book of Jude, verse 1, verse 17. There's only one chapter in which Jude told us to deliberately build up our faith, build up ourselves on our most holy faith. And we explain that. It's one of the instructions that Jude gave us concerning the Christian work. And we must never forget it. Now, why are we doing this teaching? I want to just put together some important thoughts that we believers must understand. From the book of Mark chapter 11. Remember, we know the story of Jesus who spoke to a tree and the tree died. Even though, like I said last time, he did not wind himself up strongly to be able to kill that tree. He just spoke what would have been like a casual talk. And I explained to us that that's where God wants us to reach. With the words that we speak, carry the power of God, even when we think we are speaking casually. What I'm going to say is this. Your child comes to you says, I'm not feeling well. Say, don't worry, go and sleep. You will be fine. Now, you are not praying. You just utter the word to that child. And the child goes to sleep. And actually, he or she is fine. Now, yes, it is possible for you to lay your hands, you understand, on the child. And declare healing. And rebuke the fever. And rebuke a headache. And do all of that. But for the child of God, where he wants us to get to, is where you just tell the child, go and sleep. There is no problem. And there will not be any problem. Why? Because when you utter that word, you spoke simply, but the power of God followed it, and it came out that there was no problem. Because that word was carrying the spirit of God. That's what God wants us to do. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He saw a tree. He spoke to that tree casually, and the tree died. He said to the tree, you, nobody will eat of your, tree, of your fruit again. It, people only heard it because the disciples, the apostles, well, the immediate 12, they were paying attention. Otherwise, nobody will have known why the tree died. I hope I get my point. Nobody will have known why the tree died. So the Lord spoke to it. And the people now came, the disciples said, look at the tree that you cursed. The tree has died. And what did Jesus say to them? Have faith in God. How? How? Constantly. He said, have faith in God constantly. And I started explaining that the problem of faith is because people want to interrupt Faith and use it only when they think they need it. People want to live their life morning, afternoon, night, Monday to Wednesday, alright? And then on Thursday in the morning, suddenly there's a crisis in the house, you understand? Something serious is happening. And then they want to pray and speak by faith. And somebody says, declare. It is as you declare that things will begin to work. And listen to me, I said, we are not using methods here. It's not methods we are trying to use. There's life. When we declare, we are not trying to warm up something. It's because when we speak, Power follows it. And I said, it is possible for people to speak and there is no power. I hope you're getting my point. So, in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, every time he spoke, there was power. So, they said to him, why did it happen? He said, your faith must be constant. So, people that pick their faith when they need it, they are the ones that speak and there is no power. Let me say that again. If you are picking your faith only when you think you need it, that is why you will speak and your speech will not be backed by power. 
So if you want your faith to work all the time, if you want your words to have power constantly, what Jesus said is that, that is, you want to have power when you utter it like Jesus did. He said you must have faith constantly. Are you getting my point? And that's what we're trying to look at. How do we make sure that we have faith constantly? That's what I'm teaching. Faith that is constant. Not faith that we need only, we use only, or we look for only when we have need. It must be faith that we wake up with in the morning, faith we walk around with in the afternoon, faith that we go to sleep with at night, faith that is around us even while we are sleeping and we are dreaming, faith that is with us every single moment of the day. That is what Jesus says is the reason why we will have power in our words. It's the reason why we will speak things, you understand, and the situations around us will respond. Faith that is constant. And so they, we're not put a picture from a Jude. Jude said, build up that faith. It's something you do deliberately. I hope, I hope you get my point there. Now, I said, this is how we went there last time, if you can remind me. I know we, we said there are four areas in which, as believers, we must deliberately build our faith. That is, we must build our lives. Now, that's a better way to put it. There are four areas in which we must deliberately build our lives on the Word of God. And if we do those things, do that, build up, build our, our lives deliberately in those four areas, what we are doing is that we are developing constant faith. Can you remind me of those four areas? Number one. Number one said your expectation in life, you must build it on what God has said, not what the environment is saying to you. And it's a deliberate thing. You do that deliberately. Your expectation in life. What will your life be like? You understand? There are different ways to build that. I'll talk about that again, even though we did on Tuesday. The meaning of the word hope, okay? I'll, I'll get back to it in a moment. So your expectation in life must be built deliberately on God's word, not your environment, not your perceived disadvantages or your perceived advantages. You must not build your expectation on any one of these things. That's number one. Number two, we say you must build your understanding of life. I think that's what I'm going to go on from today. Okay? You must build your understanding of life deliberately on the word of God. Now, please, let me say that again. You must deliberately do it. You will decide that I want to understand life only according to what God has spoken. Then number three, we say you build what? What's the third one? I said you expect it. Yes, thank you. Precepts. How you live your life. That is the principles by which you work. You are, you are a married man. The principles by which you relate with your wife and your children. You are a businessman. The principles you relate with your customers and your employees. You understand? You are a married woman. The principles by which, the, no, the concepts, what frames how you relate with your husband and people that you work with, whatever you are doing. You are, you know, you are a civil servant. What frames it? Everything must be built deliberately. Why are you doing the way you are doing? You must have a reference. I hope you're getting my point. Either you have the scripture to quote, or you quote an instruction you have heard why the scriptures were being taught, why the word of God was being taught. It's something you must do deliberately. I hope you're getting my point here. That's it. And then last of all, I said, you must build your talk on what? On your life. The way you... What, what other aspect of life do you build on the word of God? How we talk. Now, I won't give you that. This is what God said, one, two, three, four. It's my own experience of you know, studying the scriptures and living the Christian life that I derive those four from. Alright? If you do this, then your faith is constant. These are the things you do and your faith is constant. I hope you're getting my point. Listen, faith that really alive is not something you deliberately think about. I like what the EW Kenyon used to say. He said that faith is not something you know you think about. It's that it, it, once you start talking about right now, let's begin to have faith. We begin to have faith right now. He said you really don't have it. That those who really have it, they don't say they are having faith. I hope you're getting my point. It's just the life that they have. That's just how they live it. The faith is the way by which they live. Say no, like you know, sometimes people say those days, ah, like students, very common. They say, okay, what was happening to you? Say, oh boy, man, we've been living by faith for the last two weeks. So what they mean is that <laughs> daddy hasn't sent anything. 
Mommy has not sent anything, and nobody has sent us any cash. So how have you been living? He said, by faith. So like we said, those things, we say, okay, when they send money, what happens? You start living by what? By the flesh. You start living by sight. It may sound like a joke, but that's actually what we do. As when we say it like that, <laughs> really, that's what we practice. So what I'm going to say, it's not supposed to be like that. It's not like, uh, it's like, how have you been managing? Well, we thank God. The Lord has, who has always been good, has been good to us. It's not like we are believing by faith. Because what we are saying by that is that when money comes, we will drop the life of faith and we live by the life of cash. <laughs> Man starts living by bread alone, not by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. <laughs> Do you follow what I'm trying to explain here? All right? So that's what we do. We deliberately pick our life, these four areas of our lives, and build them on God's word deliberately. That is, you will take a course, you and yourself. Yeah, are you getting my point? And say, from now on, this is how I will speak. Let me give an example. This one, this, all of you know about this. You know, once my wife and I learned this, my wife was very strong about it. She said, look, if you ask my children, how are you? If I, <laughs> because, you know, she's not around now. We traveled. I, um, I also traveled. So from where we went, my wife called my daughter and said, how are you? Okay, you know the way it is. I said, um, I'm not allowed to my space. <laughs> now that, the, the, my children have a way they answer. You either answer, there are about three ways. I've forgotten the third one, but there are three of them. One, it is well with me as I'm growing up and getting wiser. That's an answer. Or, I am taught of the Lord. Great is my peace. Why? Because, as I have said it, your children will be taught of the Lord and great will be their peace. So when you ask my kids, how are you? They say, I am taught of the Lord and great is my peace. Are you getting my point? It's deliberate. So, <laughs> yeah, call, call my daughter and say, okay, hey, my girl, how are you? Say, I'm not the longest my sweet, eh? <laughs> you know the way it is. Just read it out. My wife said, I didn't hear what you said. The girl thought she was, talk- she was talking about network connection. He said, I'm not the longest my peace. He said, I didn't hear you. I am taught of the Lord and great is my peace. He said, good. That I want it to be deliberate when you're answering me. It's a prophetic word. Are you, are you getting my point? It's deliberate. Like, if you tell me now, you may, some of you may have noticed it and I demand it of people I relate with. If I tell you, uh, God bless you. Some people say, and you too. I find it very annoying. Why do you bounce back your blessing? If you tell me God bless you, sir, I tell you amen, no matter how small you think you are. When people tell me like, ah, uh, uh, save Johnny, I don't say thank you. Save Johnny, how can I answer you thank you? Save Johnny, you know my answer? Amen. It's a blessing. I pray we understand it. It's a blessing. A blessing is being pronounced upon you. You are bouncing it away. So if you tell me, save Johnny, I will tell you, amen. I cannot tell you, thank you. I drop my children in school in the morning. If I say, have a nice day. They, in fact, it's become a culture with them. They don't say, thank you, daddy. They will say, amen. Why well, have a nice day is not a greeting. It's a prophetic word. I have, a, I have the power of the prophet over your life. You are my children, for goodness sake. So if I tell you, have a nice day, I'm telling you how your day will go. So what you do is that you deliberately collect it. How do you do that? You say, Amen. Now, I'm using that as an example that it was something we did deliberately. You have to be deliberate. You know, people use swear words. And you can't grow up in an environment and not pick them up. That's why you watch too much American TV. You learn all kinds of bad four-letter words to express your frustration. You know, in American, Jesus is an American, you go to that tree. Hey, God. You know what Jesus would have? That is, imagine the American man. You know what I'm trying to say? 
If the PG man, <laughs> worry guy, go to the tree, say this tree, now you tree, you go better for you. <laughs> the tree will still die. The tree will still die. So people, I mean, everybody picks those funny things up around. Of course, it's not good. Of it's not good. You know, Bible says, let no corrupt word be found. You know, coming from your mouth. The same mouth that's bringing forth good should not bring forth evil. But no, this is a reflex things. So you know what I did? A nice cure that God gave me. I didn't stop swearing. I changed in quotes the swear to a declaration of the sovereignty and the lordship of Jesus. So every time I am surprised by something, my response is what? Jesus is Lord. We still have to swear. Are you getting my point? <laughs> we still have to you know, swear in quote, now in quote. But this time around, deliberately, we converted the nonsense four-letter words to declarations of the sovereignty and the lordship of Jesus Christ. So, something happens, I'm surprised. Oh, I still respond. What? Jesus is Lord. In life, let me drop something briefly. Many times you are trying to stop a bad habit and you are finding it hard. One of the reasons why it's happening like that is that you are wrongly obeying the scripture. You can see what the Bible does. Every time God gives an instruction, don't do this, it tells you what to do. So if you try to not do something without doing the other thing, you find yourself struggling. You find yourself struggling. Even Jesus said it, don't cast out demons if you will not replace with the Holy Spirit. Because one way or the other, you must have a spirit. I hope you are getting my point. You must have a spirit. You must have a spirit. The other day I sat there and began to look at through the scriptures when the Bible uses the word spirit. Especially the New Testament. What does it mean? So many meanings. I found out a number of them. One, it means love. Two, it means the word of God. Apart from the Holy Spirit himself, and apart from the power of God itself, these are the other uses. So when it says, don't be drunk with wine, Wherein is what? Excess. What's the next line? But be filled with the Spirit. A man must be drunk on something. You have to drink something. If you're not going to be drinking wine till you get drunk, then you go ahead and drink something else. That's just by the way. So anytime you want to stop a bad habit, because it's commanding the Scriptures, look closely. There's always something else you are supposed to replace it with. If you're not going to complain, people tell me all the time, are you trying to say, I mean, we're, we're Makodi last week. Was it last week? Okay. Now, last week, when we were Makodi, somebody asked that question, because I said, am I trying to say that you, you can't criticize government? I said, yes, that's what I said. You can't do it. Why can't you? There are policies. I said, then go and talk to them. Don't sit in your bedroom and be emitting bad vibes into the atmosphere. Now, I don't want to talk about that now, but the question is that, what do you do? The Bible says it clearly. What you do is you give thanks. Giving of thanks in the scriptures is not because we are happy. We give thanks deliberately. Even when you are sad, you will still give thanks. You don't praise God because he has done what you feel like is good. You praise God because he is what? Worthy to be praised. I've shared this testimony. I heard somebody give it some time ago. That this song we all sing. You are worthy to be glorified. You are worthy to be glorified. I heard the song, that the testimony, that a woman sang it when her child died. And we're not told the story of whether the child rose up from the dead or not. You know, this is not bribery and corruption. Nobody's trying to bribe God. So, so you know, after praising God for one 
for one hour. The child has not woken up. I said, God, pay me back all the praise last one hour. What has he produced? We don't praise God because we want him to do something. We praise God because he is worthy to be praised. So you find that if you are full of thanksgiving, if you are full of praise, you don't have enough time, the opportunity to criticize will be difficult to find. Even in a country like ours, where people have all kinds of complaints. If you sit down and give God thanks for the, one, for the things you can see, and two, based on principle, you will find too many things to be grateful for. One of the things I plan to share with us, I hope I can get there, is to emphasize to us again the power of the spiritual. What I'm going to say is that things that look real to you, they are not real. It is spiritual that is real. What is physical is not real. And that which is physical can easily be converted if the spiritual is put in the right place. What looks like a bad thing, you can close your eyes, open it, it starts looking beautiful. I like the story Samuel Doctorian told. He went to preach somewhere, I think in Indonesia, somewhere. One of those um, islands, anyway. One of those um, countries, anyway. And they put him in one very bad motel somewhere. Leaky roof, you know. And then at night, all kinds of insects. They open, and this man came from the US or so, so you can imagine he wasn't used to war geckos, you know. For us, war gecko is a friendly neighbor. In fact, <laughs> no, really, does anybody kill war geckos? Only wicked soul. If you see any man killing war gecko, don't marry him. He's a very wicked person. <laughs> Nobody kills war geckos. What's so used? War geckos are our friends. I mean, you don't need lizards. Children are the ones that chase lizards. They're out of fun. Otherwise, they will, you know, lizard pass. Lizard, uh, uh, oh use that side. This is my way. You know, there's no, no quarrel, really. <laughs> my friend told me once when here, the parents relocated back from the UK many years ago. I mean, it's a big man now. When they were children, so then they, they arrived in Ondo State, from Ondo State. So one day, he saw a lizard. So he called his brother, and they started chasing after the lizard. They didn't know how, to, when they jumped a fence into a man's compound, chasing what? Lizards. They had never seen it apart from in their textbooks. African children are enjoying them. I'm telling you. <laughs> anyway, someone doctor went somewhere like that to go and preach. So he looked, he see a fly go by. Then you see a war gecko, another colored lizard, all kinds of things crawling around. Even the man couldn't sleep. You know the way you're trying to sleep, a moth will fly back and land near your the pole of your bed. You know, for us, most Nigerians, if a moth lies on your if, you know, lands on your wall. You don't think about it. You only get up when it looks like a scorpion. Moth? Moth is, what is moth? It's just our friend. So someone doctorian was complaining. He was like, go, we can't analyze this one. Supposed to preach the gospel, I have to go through all of this. I know what, the only people won't say, I'm just be watching you. After I finished complaining and complaining and complaining, finally, when he was quiet, he between that, what is your problem? You know what to do. Not get up and kill anything, no. Start giving thanks. So the guys suddenly realized that. So he kept quiet and started thanking God. He thanked God for everything. For the bed. Not a very nice bed, but the bed is there. Thank God for the motel. The opportunity to come and preach in that kind of country. The more he... Now, this, this really happened. The more he gave thanks, the more those things began to look beautiful. I don't know what I get my point. So then you look at the fly. Wow, look at the colors. Insta- look, that is, the things began to look beautiful. 
suddenly was having admiration for it. Man, this is diversity of you know, flora and what? Fauna, thank you. <laughs> Before he knew what was happening, he fell asleep. I hope you're getting my point. You see, we'll get there in a moment. So physical things, they are not real. It is spiritual that is real. And they can easily be converted to good feeling if the spiritual is put in place. What looks bad, if God puts, you know, I thank God, and I tell you, I used to argue a lot with people talking about Nigeria and all of that. I don't anymore because there's no point. They are not operating with my frequency. They are not seeing what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing, even if both of us see the same thing, the effect it has on them is not the same effect it has on me. I hardly notice bad roads anyway. I don't know about you. Me, I hardly notice. I pass the road, I go where I'm going. And if the road is bad, I pass it again on my way back. If it's bad again, I will pass it over the next time. And guess what? The bad roads have never been able to stop me from reaching where I'm going. But you know, there are people who sit down morning, afternoon, and night. The problem with this country is bad roads. And uh, if I, 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 there was something I, I read this morning. Some of, you know, these things that fly around. And I, I was so blessed by it. was not really blessed. It was not a preaching. It was not a teaching of the word, but a real thing. Somebody said, uh, everybody thinks that the problem is government. Save his government. You private people, let me show how you've been doing things excellently in your private place. Before you start blaming government. That the problem was government. And every private person should have impeccable services. So that shows you it's not the government. It is us. It's all of us. Anyway, we'll get there. So the point I'm making is this. Spiritual things are real. Now I was making a point before I got to that one. What was that point? Why is she laughing at me? Anyway. So by faith. Now, ah, now you guys have really confused me now. What was I preaching before? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. God will bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you see, it's something we do deliberately. That's what I'm making. We do these things deliberately. If you're finding something hard, like I said, just replace. That's why I went into that. Replace it with something else. Instead of grumbling, you start with what? Thanksgiving. The more you give thanks, the more the things that look bad stop looking bad. The more you start appreciating the beautiful things around you. The story of Hagar, I use it to say a lot of times. Hagar was in distress. Abraham gave her a little food, gave her a little water, herself and her child. And then she sat down there crying, put the child a, a small distance away from her because she believed the child would die. Now, we don't know whether, whether the angels created it or not, but when I read my Bible, I had, there was no reason to believe that an angel suddenly dug a well there. The Holy Spirit, the angels of God, led Hagar to a well. She was walking, they guided her to a well. But because she was so full of anger and disappointment and bitterness, she did not notice it. And except for divine intervention, even though God had led her to a well, she would have died of thirst. It was when God spoke to her that she looked, lifted up her eyes and saw that she was actually near a well. Many people have begun to prosper in life because they were fired. And see, let me say something to you. I need to say this quickly. Please, let me quickly say before I forget. 
The fact that God has planned something good for you does not mean you will experience it. You must do what is right for it to come to you. What I mean is this. In the presence of Jesus, Peter, being afraid, will have died. He will have drowned. God he sent, um, what's the name of his prophet? Jonah to Nineveh. Listen to me. God never wants anybody to perish. It's in the Bible like that. So he never wanted Nineveh to perish. But do you know, if Nineveh did not do what they did, they would have all perished. He said, 40 days hence, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Nineveh will be overtaken. And of course, you know the rest of the story. The king called for a fast, repentance. Everybody went into sackcloth and ashes, and they repented, and God forgave them. The struggle came upon, upon Nineveh much, much, much later. That generation did not experience it. Now, this point I want to make. Do you know if they did not do that which they did, they would have been destroyed in that generation? What am I going to say? If Hagar had filled her life with grumbling, she would have died of thirst. Jonah. Jonah, don't forget this. <laughs> Go and read the story of Jonah. Well misunderstood. Do you know? There's no, after, after reading my Bible, there's no proof God sent that fish to save Jonah 100%. What I'm trying to say is this. No, don't, don't get me wrong. The fish swallowed Jonah. It was not as if God kept the fish waiting, saying that Jonah must not die. So when Jonah enters the water, a servant fish, yes, my Lord, go and swallow that man of God. And then when you swallow him, you carry him across to the shores of uh, Nineveh, Assyria, and vomit him up there. And then he will deliver my message. Let me tell you about something about God. It is to your own advantage you learn quickly so you don't die in a hurry. Now, this is what I mean. No, I know what I'm saying. When they threw Jonah into the water, the sentence was a sentence of death. I hope you're getting my point. It was not them, let's scare him small. No. Jonah did not go where he was supposed to go. You know what it meant? Jonah was going to die. The wave that came did not come to scare Jonah. It came to drown him. Please follow me. It came to drown Jonah. And Jonah was going to drown. I know the meaning of drowning. It doesn't mean you fell into water. It means you died as a result. So he said, what saved Jonah's life? I'll tell you. For time's sake, I don't want to get sidetracked into that. Go and read it. As Jonah was hitting the, bo- hitting the bottom of the water, as life was going out of him, he remembered to pray. You go and read it when he was giving an account of what happened. He, re- he remembered to pray. And because he prayed, and he begged God, and he repented, God now gave a signal, and a fish went and took Jonah, and didn't drop him, Immediately on the seashore. How long did he keep him for? How long? Three days and three nights. Complete 72 hours. Another thing I noticed about God, he doesn't waste time. He spends time he never wastes. One of the prayers I pray these days, I pray all the time. Sometimes, please follow me. Sometimes with panic. I understand that everything happening in my life is not necessarily the will of God. No, it is the amount of the will of God I have allowed him to express. 
there are many things not happening. It's not because he does not want them to happen. It is because I have been stubborn. I have refused to change. I have refused to learn the right lessons. So I'm on that spot. And I'm saying when God is ready, he will move me. God said, I was ready like 17 years ago. But your stubbornness is the reason why you have been kept in that spot. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, circling one single mountain. Was it because God could not take them in? No, it was the stubbornness of their hearts. So, do you know what happened to Jonah? <laughs> three days, God doesn't waste time. The fish released Jonah after three days because it took three days for Jonah to get a lesson. And this is what I believe. Jonah will have stayed there until the fish will have digested him. And this is another complaint, another point I have come to understand. One major reason the fish did not digest Jonah was because he learned to thank God for small, small messes like we say. Prayed for deliverance. He was not fully delivered, but he did not die. So he spent his time thanking God that at least I'm not dead. That was what the Lord put together on the third day. You know what the Bible says? When the clouds are full, what happens? They pour forth rain. I believe that when Jonah's spiritual climate was, full, was ready, then that triggered the vomiting process of the fish. The fish went to the seashore and vomited Jonah. Not because, you no, know, whatever happens, dole, dole, he must, Jonah must not die. No, Jonah had to do what was right. Otherwise, he would have died. And listen to me, many have died. Many died. Many Jonas are dead. Plenty Jonas, you don't know about them. Do you know what happened? Those men threw the Jonas into the, the sea. And as he was going down, he said, this is what I get for serving God. I have been a prophet since I was 15. When he wanted um, uh, uh, Butilezi city that time to repent, I was the one he sent. I was stoned for his sake. I prayed for a new car he didn't give me. I forgave him. He forgave God. Are you getting my point? <laughs> now, many people, that's how they be complaining. You sit down there, drowning after I served God. It's okay. Let it be like that now. I know what my mates went when we were answering call to ministry. They started doing business. All of them are millionaires now. And they are, I'm being drowned because I didn't, only in I didn't go. I went to Tashish last year. There was nothing. I went to Jerusalem. Do you understand? There was no complaint. I even went to Egypt. I just refused to go to Nineveh. Now they drown so. And you know what happens? I'm telling you, many have drowned like that. I remember the story of Smith Wigglesworth were told. Wigglesworth was called to the house of a pastor to come and pray. You know what happened to the man? He was a preacher. He became sick. He had tuberculosis. And he became angry. That after serving God for this long, now I will fall sick. Where was God when tuberculosis was afflicting me? Let me digress again. Please, don't let a pastor kill you by telling you that when you do something for God, you hold up your tight envelope and say, God, this is what I have done for you. You will die fast. Now I've been telling, look, a lot of people that die, that's what happened. They can't understand what is going on. They have appendix, appendicitis. They can't understand that last year they paid for, for people to have three surgeries. They paid for the surgeries. So they thought it immunized them against appendicitis. After all, 
Anybody you pay surgery for, God will reward record it. One man, terrible experience. Two of his sons died in one day. So my friend and I were called. Three boys actually, they were playing. Locked themselves in their father's boot. And they all died. And they were using the car to look for them. The man, I remember when the man came there. Powerful man, you know, called the work he did. He started crying. He said, me that I'm paying school fees for other people's children. Oh, oh, that's why they are dead. Instead of you to be asking God for mercy, Lord, keep them. Help me. Have mercy upon me. You are paying school fees for other people's children, thereby buying safety for your children. That was what happened to them. Trouble came upon them. Anybody keeps, you know, when I say this, I will be joking sometimes. I'm, I'm, look, I'm not kidding. I have seen people that give a large offering to the Lord, wanted to claim something. God released trouble upon them. And then they were surprised. Ah, I thought they said that if I give 10 million naira, doors will open. Doors were closing. Welder was shorting, welding, that is, metal gate. Lock the guy inside. Welding short, no key. The guy was getting confused. Wigglesworth, that's what happened to that man. They said they called Wigglesworth. Come and pray for this man. He got there, he just perceived in his spirit. The man that time was near death. That this man is angry. Angry with the Lord. Wigglesworth didn't pray for him. He just surrounded him. I think he spoke with him. Told the man to confess. The man asked the Lord for forgiveness. Told him to get up and go and get dressed. No prayer, nothing. He got up. As he was getting up, energy was returned to him, returning to him. In a few minutes, he was well. In a few days, he, he had regained his strength. I can imagine many Jonas have drowned. But this is our Jonah. He didn't, he didn't drown. As, well, <laughs> one man believed that he actually died. That he had to be woken up again from the dead. But anyway, he, he ended up alive. What happened to him? He started giving thanks. Go and read it. Initially, he prayed. Then the fish came, swallowed him. He now began to give thanks. Many people have lost it at that point also. What I asked for was not this one. I've been praying, sowing seed, and believing God for a job. And in your mind, that job is going to pay if it's bad, if it's bad, 250K a month. Finally got one. He started on 28,500. And one day I was talking to one brother. Where do you work now? Say I don't have a job yet. No, I wasn't talking to him. Somebody was talking with him. You know, young guys just left school. So they were sitting. He was sitting somewhere behind me. Some were talking behind. I was in front. The question was asked. Where do you work now? You know what he said? I don't have a job yet. I'm only managing a school. You know, I know when to mind my business. There are times I lose control. I was so angry. All right, I just turned to him and said, and you don't call that a job. I was so angry. You know, people have started life like that. Then they, after a while, after years, they are the ones employing professors. Now, what I've said is not a joke. If you want, I'll start giving you names. People just started life like that. Some people didn't even have a formal job. They were just organizing lessons here and there. Next thing, it became a school. Next thing, it became a university. Is that new? You've not heard stories like that before? Yet the man said, this is not, uh, I'm just managing. You don't know the guy you're dealing with. He said, okay, Mr. Manager. There's no problem. Just stay there, be managing. And he will leave you there until 
you learn to rejoice. And when you start, and if you go to church and say, rejoice, and God will deliver you, He will put you, the more you rejoice, the more He will put you there. You know why? He said, only bribery. He is rejoicing now, waiting for deliverance. And we run around you, leave it there. Listen, all this one of all this magomago manipulation of God with spiritual principles. Better stop that nonsense because he can read your heart. You can read it now. He said, rejoice, dance. When you dance, God will deliver you. God said, no problem. He dance in there. Let me get a choreographer to teach you how to dance. I will teach you tango, salsa, shaku shaku, everything. I still will not deliver you. Until your rejoicing is a serious. You get my point? Real rejoicing. Gratitude rejoicing. And it's very easy. Just think of people that were all, all of you were looking for work together and they are dead now. Say, Lord, I'm still alive. Just think about the father I ate yesterday. Ah, father, <laughs> this would give me food. This just give me food. Okay, let's not forget the food. Do you know every day I have the opportunity to mentor young boys, young girls? Ha! Opportunity for ministry. This is many people who are looking for prosperity in life. You know, they make me laugh. They are begging to be useless. They will take a job where they don't, they are not blessed, they are not affecting anybody. Just give me half a million a month. Make me sit down and be looking at the stars. And they'll now go and give you the testimony. Praise God. You know, I was sure that I seed. And after, after paying the tithes and give the first fruits and I gave a special seed, an Isaac offering, according to Pastor Corey, a buffalo offering. When we added, <laughs> when we added everything together. God has now given us a job. Count the money. What is he doing with it? He's not blessing anybody. His skill is not improving. He's not important. If he dies today, they'll get another goat to replace him. Life goes on. And if it is superior to people who are earning 10% of what is earning, but they are affecting people's lives. They are seeing, look, if you want to give God thanks, there's plenty reasons to give him thanks. Look for those things. You will have real cause for rejoicing. And if he decides that where you are is a punishment, because sometimes where you are is not a punishment, it's an assignment. I don't know what I get at my point. Your position does not have to be a punishment. It can be an assignment. And God will not say, because you are so full of gratitude, I will remove your position of assignment. No, it's when you have completed that assignment, he promotes you to the next one. I hope you're getting my point here. Brother Jonas case, he had to give God thanks deliberately. When he did that, that was where, because he was in the position of what? Punishment. But he thanked God that at least I'm not dead yet. After three days, he had given enough thanks for him to trigger his release. I went to all of this and explained something. God doesn't joke. Many times people are stuck in a place and, oh, you know, gone are the days, you know, there are some gospels I don't preach anymore. I don't know what I've ever preached them anyway. Before I started preaching, I've unlearned them. God is not in a hurry. Is it, let me explain what I'm saying. He's not trying to, not trying to prove a point to anybody. He can, he can punish his own children. They will die in poverty. Nothing. Now, I'm not saying he's happy. I'm just saying that if they don't learn the right lessons, he to be unjust of him to move them from that point. Let's get back to where we were, you know, because now I mean to say so many things. I'm about to get lost. Help me again. So that I don't know how I got there. Today, what was happening? I'm really getting lost today. Huh? 
Yeah, that's uh, since last week. That's how we've been on. I mean, today. Ah, uh, thank you. Not very helpful. Well, why, why were they sick in the first place? That's what I'm trying to find out. Okay, when it comes to, uh, this has not happened to me in a long time. When it gets to points like this, I'll just start preaching from the beginning again. <laughs> then we we'll finally get to <laughs> how we got it. All right, don't worry. That, that's the beginning, really. So I'm going to go back to that beginning. All right. <laughs> the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. All right. Now, okay. I know something I was saying that we must learn to do what is right. Okay. Let me just, uh, I don't know. And I thought that was a digression and I really got lost in that particular one. But I'll just go back. Amen. Amen. Now, remember I was saying we must be deliberate, right? We must be deliberate in learning the right things to do. It's something we must do deliberately. We have four areas we're going to look at, right? One of them I'm going to look at today. And that is the area in which, you know, I said there are four. Let's just go over them again. Let's start from the bottom. I'll give you a few examples. How we talk. How we talk. All right? Then the precepts, the principles by which we live our lives and then the expectation we have of life. And let me leave this one to the last now. The way we understand life. Now, why did I read 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Now, remember Hebrews chapter 11, we said, by faith, we do what? We understand. I started explaining something, that the spiritual is real. The spiritual controls the physical. The spiritual is real. If we do what is right, we can rearrange what is going on physically to bring the spiritual into physical reality. Now, you see why I'm saying this in a moment. So here, Paul said, Paul was saying something here. Explaining some principles about life. He said that our bodies, that is, this is our earthly tent, will be torn down. He said we don't mind. What we are looking for is actually another one. Eternal in the heavens. He said that we are, we groan while we are in this particular one, longing to be closed with the one from heaven. Now, Paul was saying all of these things. Let me say this to you. If somebody is talking like this, the person will appear mad. Except you can see what he's saying. Now, Paul was saying all of these things. And I said, why am I talking like this? That's where I'm going. In verse 6, he said, therefore, being always of good courage. You must understand, this man always of good courage, if you see the experience he's had, his life was not easy. He was not the prophet, pastor, apostle of today. He was a foundational apostle and a prophet who suffered to establish Christianity. When Jesus called him, he said, I have, he told Ananias, I have shown him or I will show him the things that he will suffer for my sake. Paul was called into a life of suffering. That is, as he was answering the call to the ministry, he said, Mr. Sanhedrin specialist, from now on, Sanhedrin will be flogging you regularly. Yes, sir. Then you are going to travel. Sometimes when you are traveling, they will shoot at your vehicle. You won't die, but know that you will get injured. Then you will get healed after two weeks. Then one day they will beat you so bad, you will die. Then after they leave, you will wake up again. Many times you will have to escape through the window. All right? Then sometimes you will decide you want to focus on the world you will not eat. 
Other times you will focus on the word because there's nothing else to do. There's no food. And Paul will say, okay, no problem. Now those were the signs of apostleship. He said, we may look poor, but let's tell you the truth. We've made many people rich. We lay hands on people, they get rich. We lay hands on people, they get well. We cast out demons, so that's not the problem. But what is the sign of our apostleship? Despite the fact that we have done all this, we are poor. Yet, this same person was rejoicing. That's where I'm going. This same person had courage. He said, none of these things move me. I don't count my life as dear unto myself. They said, don't go to Jerusalem. He said, why? They said, they will beat you. He said, I beat him. <laughs> the day I was called to ministry, I received an anointing for being beaten. I still believe he shouldn't have gone to Jerusalem. There's a reason why I say that, okay? But we're not talking about that now. But if you wanted to explain to Paul not to go to Jerusalem, you needed to find another reason. You needed to find another reason. You cannot, you couldn't have told Paul that if you get to Jerusalem, you will suffer. Out. And then he'll say, hey, so what is this life about? Now, this is the point I'm making. So, why am I, am I behaving like this? Am I a for punishment? Do I have a mental problem that takes, you know, pleasure in suffering? He said, no. Now listen to this. It is because I know something. I know this earthly tent is going to be thrown away. I'm preparing myself for what life will be when the new one will come. What are you talking about? Oh, you don't understand it. I know it because I walk by faith and not by sight. I don't know whether you're getting my point here. That is the reason why Paul did not have the kind of reaction you and I, or an average person, let me put it like that, we have to his sufferings was because he was walking by what? By faith. Now, this is what I was trying to explain. It's a deliberate thing we do. You make up your mind how you want to assess your life. Once I was hearing him explain something, I understood where he was going, but I wasn't a bit excited. Say, so let me tell you how, what you are worth in life. Write down all your savings. The value of your assets. No bank deposits, you know. That's fixed deposits. Shares, buildings. You total them. Then right on the other side, your liabilities. So you find the total of this. Of course, liabilities you put minus. So that is your worth in life. And for having worked for 20 years, how much are you worth today? And this was church, and the man was preaching. I respected the man. I knew he was trying to teach business, so I was patient with him. If you were it not that he came to teach business, you start a message like that, I will close my Bible. When I get outside, I will tell one of the ushers, see that woman over there? Tell her her husband is calling her. I went enter my car, and I will drive away. You cannot assess my life on physical parameters. Listen. One of the first articles I wrote when I was say, okay, I began ministry. It's one of the things I call the creation of value. Or the perception of beauty. Yes, that's where I began from. And it happened that day, it was in Lagos. I went somewhere. So, like in a reception or something, I sat down. So they had this big photograph or painting on the wall and it was of the white-headed eagle and you know of course I looked at it and I said what a beautiful creature 
And as soon as I said that, a thought dropped in my mind. What is the difference between it and a vulture? I looked at it and said, it's true. It looks, look, you may not like the idea, but it looks like a vulture. They are bald-headed eagles too. All of those carnivorous animals, hmm, okay, let's not use carnivorous or vulture, vulture is a scavenger. But all of those, I don't know enough biology to tell you the names of that group, but whether it's a falcon, an eagle, a kite, a hawk, and a vulture, basically they look alike. Why does a vulture not look beautiful to you? It is simple. You know what he eats. That's all. There's no other reason. It's not the shape of the beak. They all have about the same. But anytime you look at a vulture, you know what it eats. So if one lands in front of you, come on, there's an ugly animal. Kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. Have you noticed that there's been every anytime you want to see witches, you know those who see witches at night, they never seen an eagle. It's always a vulture. It's in their mind. It's not really, you know, <laughs> it's their mind that is witchcrafting everything. You know, you hardly see cats that are witches. Cats are, oh, beautiful animal, beautiful animal. One African man see cats. Aje, wish. It's the mind, it's the mind. It's, it's, are you getting my point? That day, I looked at it and said, so what's the difference between these two animals? He said, there's very little, very little. The difference is just that our mind, we understand this guy eats dead things. He's a scavenger. This one, oh, it's a biblical creature. We mount up with wings like an eagle. As an eagle stares up her nest, he watches over them, cover them with his pinions like an eagle. So when you see eagle, you almost want to proceed. Eagle, good morning, sir. You know that kind of... <laughs> Because... <laughs> After hearing so much about eagles in the Bible, you want to respect the animal. Now, that day I went back home, I wrote down an article, which I call, I think, either the perception of beauty or creation of value or something like that. I've forgotten what I called it. And I wrote this in the diet. what, like somebody said, you don't see with your eyes, you see through your eyes. That is actually you see with your mind. Your mind looks out through your eyes. And creates value on things. What am I going to say? So, we Christians, we're talking about being deliberate. We can deliberately, that's where I'm going, reassign value to things in life. Yes, we can deliberately reassign value. After I finished my NYC those days, for the next many months, I didn't, I, in fact, my friend chose once, we came to Benin for a local convention. As soon as I arrived, you know the greeting he gave me? He said, oh boy, I hear you are the only jobless doctor in Nigeria. That was my, as I came down that day, because a bike dropped me at the convention center there. He's a very funny guy. Of course, we laughed about it. Really, for months, I, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't lazy. I looked for work. Well, but anytime I went to look for work, they said, how long are you staying? I said, I applied for, in loot. Once they employ me, I leave. Of course, they refused to hire me. <laughs> Who hire you? Know, you say, will you hire anybody like that? Somebody said, why are you not telling them? I said, what do you want to do? Go and tell lies to them. Of course, I'm not going to lie to them. It was just God that did it like that. So I now got a job later on as a driver. Now. <laughs> Sounds very funny. Yes, I was a driver. I was a driver because I was living with my auntie. And she, didn't, she needed a driver. Her driver had left all of a sudden without any warning. And I could drive. And I was jobless. So as long as I didn't have a job, I had to do the driving. 
So every morning, I will have a bath, and I will wait. Auntie, how far? Where are we going today? Okay, I have to go to this VIA. I'm so somebody at a papa. Oh God, I drove, my, my legs began to pain me. I'm not, that's not a joke. I mean that literally. Because the car I was driving, those the Nigerians didn't use to use automatic car, uh, automatics much. I was driving a good car, very good car, air conditioned, good music system. But I had to press the clutch. And when you know you have sinned, go and press clutch inside, go slow. Two hours of crawling, one meter every 10 seconds. For two hours, your left foot will pain you. Your ankle on the right will ache. And it happened to me. But that was the job God gave me. Now, why am I telling this story? That time, of course, it meant I was... I wasn't broke as in I couldn't eat. There was food around. But I didn't have money for any other thing. Now, why am I telling this story? Now, now, now. Eh? I look back over that time and I will not exchange it for anything. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about it. It lasted for some time. I would not exchange it for anything. Why? That was a season, you've heard my story, in which I listened to the word so much. In eight months, I counted, I estimated Bishop Oedipo alone. I'm not talking about other preachers. It was not the only one I listened to, even though he was the main person. Only him, I did 500 hours in eight months. You can go and calculate that. Then, I'm not, I'm not making a mistake. If anything, it's an underestimate. In eight months, minimum of David Oedipo alone that I listened to was not less than 500 hours. Which came to how many hours a month? 500 divided by eight. That's over... Over, okay, over 60 hours, thank you. Which meant that I did more than two hours on a daily basis. Bishop Oyedepo alone. If I listened to Ken Hagen that time, I didn't include it. If I did Mike Mudok, I did not include it. If I did any other person, I did not include it. Oyedepo alone was what I'm telling you. More than 500 hours in eight months. I look back, I will not extend that period for anything. For me, it's one of the most valuable seasons of my life. I have no doubt. It's one of the reasons why you are here this evening. Beautiful people, you left everything you had to do this evening to come and listen to me. <laughs> that is the reason. That's part of the reason. That's why I will not exchange it for anything. And one prayer I pray this is a God, please, don't let me make a choice that looks beautiful now. Are you getting my point? But it's costing me something great later in life. It's a prayer I pray. It's a serious prayer I pray. Sometimes you want to make it just like, God, please, eh? I say, look, because there are, there are times I have desires. And sometimes for good reasons, not selfish reasons. But I'll say to the Lord, please, if this will shave small off the anointing with which we are preaching, if you remove small from the destiny that we're supposed to manifest, please, can I just say ahead, I don't want it. It will look painful now, but eternally it will not be painful. Eternally it will actually be beautiful. I'm talking about we walk by what? Faith. Paul said, why are we rejoicing even though we have been condemned to suffering? He said it is because we walk by what? Faith. Now, let's go back to that faith matter. The way most of us look at faith is this. Of course, many of us, that's how we were doing it. What is faith? It's something that brings better. It brings good into our system. If I buy a new car, I bought it by faith. 
If I build a beautiful new house, it's by faith. I start giving the testimony, praise God, you know. That day I did not have money, but I just began to declare. And I said, soil, <laughs> I have authority over you. I'm a child of God. I can't even see what you're going to do. You're going to grow me a house from here right now. And the money began to come. And people would go ahead, this is faith, you know, rejoicing. Faith, ah, oh, more. 